Kia ora, and welcome to a special edition of the Kaka Mai podcast about the political economy. Because we've just heard that the Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, has announced she will resign as Prime Minister and leave as the MP for Mount Albert in April, that there will be an election on October the 14th, and that Grant Robertson, her deputy and longtime colleague as both candidates as leader and deputy leader for the Labour Party, that Grant Robertson will not stand as the new leader, to be the new leader of the Labour Party. The Prime Minister announced this at a news conference on effectively the first political day of the new year, which was the Labour retreat for the caucus in Napier today. She said she had reflected over the summer about uh, what it would take to be the Prime Minister for another four years because, of course, uh, there's just one more year left of the election and she'd have to recommit to another three years in charge. She essentially said uh, that she didn't have enough left in the tank to be a full Prime Minister and that uh, she wished her uh, a successor, whoever that would be, and the Labour Party the best, and that uh, she was proud of her achievements. Last year, I said in various public fora and uh, in various uh, podcasts and in the kaka that I thought there was a small chance, a non-negligible chance, that the Prime Minister would do this, would resign either just before Christmas or immediately after the summer break this year. That's because Labour is clearly behind in the polls and the Prime Minister is personally uh, very unpopular with a certain part of the voting population, including some of those who are swing voters. She's also had the most extraordinary five years as Prime Minister, beginning, of course, with the unexpected elevation to the Labour leadership barely six weeks before the election, the uh, surprise um, win in the election, uh, although only after some extended and painful negotiations with Winston Peters. During that time, she discovered she was pregnant for the first time. And uh, in her first year in charge, she uh, not only uh, had a child, but also had to deal with all sorts of um, uh, new government dramas. And of course, then by March twenty. 19, we had the Christchurch attacks. Uh, they were shortly followed by the uh, uh, White Island disaster, and then, of course, the dramas around COVID through 2020 and 2021. Uh, anyone who knows uh, how prime ministers and governments operate knows that anyone in that role essentially can't have a proper private life or time to themselves. Their calendars are scheduled to within an inch of um, getting up in the morning and going to bed at night. Uh, there is an enormous amount of travel, very little time for family, and that's on a quiet time for a Prime Minister. Obviously, the last five years have been even more intense for the Prime Minister I remember saying to a colleague just yesterday that I couldn't really understand how the Prime Minister was standing up straight. I've uh, seen how intense that uh, job is 
and uh, you wouldn't begrudge anyone from saying after the last five years that um, they are unable to commit again for another four years of that sort of intense work. Uh, the Prime Minister also, in a political sense, has left little room for Labour to uh, manoeuvre on policies. The Prime Minister over time has effectively committed to the government being uh, a the current level of government being stuck in place at around uh, core revenues, tax revenues of about 30% of GDP. In fact, that was one of the commitments she made as the opposition leader before getting the job, that she would not uh, raise taxes and certainly would not um, bring in a capital gains tax unless um, the uh, tax working group agreed to it and she wouldn't do it in her first term. That was one of the reasons she actually got elected in the first place. It was a last-minute clarification on what she would or wouldn't do. Subsequently, she, of course, said she would not bring in a capital gains tax or a wealth tax in her political lifetime and has repeatedly stuck to the fiscally conservative line over the last five years that there are many things that can't be afforded and that the most important thing the government can do is be fiscally responsible, which in her mind means keeping, uh, and the Treasury's mind, means keeping net debt uh, below 30% of GDP over the long run and trending down after a crisis. So we're now expecting net debt to get down towards 14 15% of uh, GDP. During that time, of course, by not changing the um, parameters around the structure of government or looking to bring in a capital gains or wealth or any sort of land tax, the government effectively ruled out any real ways to change the trajectory for the economy and society. She also effectively ignored most of the recommendations of her own welfare expert advisory group and presided over the Labour Party's um, uh, decisions during COVID, which effectively widened inequality by the most in our history through um, the gift of $20 billion to people in business by the refusal to... Uh, increase benefits at the at the rates that were necessary, according to her own welfare advisory group, and and also uh, by um, uh, allowing or agreeing to the Reserve Bank's decisions to remove the LVR restrictions and print fifty five billion dollars, which increased house prices uh, close to eighty uh, percent uh, in various places. Those prices have come off since then, but um, her decisions and the decisions of of her government effectively sentenced another generation of New Zealanders to um, not having access to their own homes and the security that brings for having your own families. And it's led over the last year to another 30,000 New Zealanders leaving permanently to live overseas. I just wanted to... um, replay some of the news conference uh, today, which uh, I think it's worth listening to, and then talk uh, personally about my thoughts on the Prime Minister. Uh, Having been critical of her policies just before, I I wanted to um, uh, talk in more depth about um, how, how she has gone over the last five years. But first, let's listen to the Prime Minister talking at the news conference today. 
Consideration of the date over the summer and the impending election and new political term has also given me time for reflection. I'm entering now my sixth year in office, and for each of these years I have given my absolute all. I believe that leading a country is the most privileged job anyone could ever have, but also one of the more challenging. You cannot and should not do it unless you have a full tank, plus a bit in reserve for those unexpected challenges. This summer I had hoped to find a way to prepare not just for another year, but another term, because that is what this year requires. I have not been able to do that. And so today I'm announcing that I will not be seeking re-election and that my term as Prime Minister will conclude no later than the 7th of February. This has been the most fulfilling five and a half years of my life, but it has also had its challenges. Amongst an agenda focused on housing, child poverty and climate change, we encountered a major biosecurity incursion, a domestic terror event, a major natural disaster, a global pandemic and an economic crisis. The decisions that have had to be made have been continual and they have been weighty. But I am not leaving because it was hard. Had that been the case, I probably would have departed two months into the job. I am leaving because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. The responsibility to know when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. I know what this job takes and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. But I absolutely believe and know there are others around me who do. We've achieved a huge amount in the last five years and I'm so proud of that. We are in a fundamentally different place on climate change than where we were, with ambitious targets and a plan to achieve them. We have turned around child poverty statistics and made the most significant increases in welfare and the state housing stock that we've seen in many decades. We've made it easier to access education and training. We've improved the paying conditions of workers and shifted our settings towards a high-wage, high-skilled economy. And we've worked hard to make progress on issues around our national identity. And I believe that teaching history in schools and celebrating our own Indigenous national holiday will all make a difference for years to come. And we've done that while responding to some of the biggest threats to the health and economic well-being of our nation, arguably, since World War II. The team that has done all of that, they have been some of the best people I've ever had the privilege of working with. And they are well placed to take us forward as we continue to focus on our economic recovery with one of the strongest economies in the world. They are also a team who are incredibly well placed to contest the next election. In fact, I am not leaving because I believe we can't win the election, but because I believe we can and will. And we need a fresh set of shoulders for that challenge. I know there will be much discussion in the aftermath of this decision as to what the so-called real reason was. I can tell you that what I'm sharing today is it. 
the only interesting angle that you will find is that after going on six years of some big challenges, I am human. Politicians are human. We give all that we can for as long as we can, and then it's time. And for me, it's time. I intend to remain a member for Mount Albert through till April. This will give me a bit of time in the electorate before I depart and also spare them and the country a by-election. Beyond that, I have no plan, no next steps. All I know is that whatever I do, I will try and find ways to keep working for New Zealand and that I'm looking forward to spending time with my family once again. Arguably, they're the ones that have sacrificed the most out of all of us. And so to Neve, Mum is looking forward to being there when you start school this year. And to Clark, let's finally get married. My reflection was entirely on the next four years. In determining whether to run an election, you need that commitment to see you through uh, a period, a three-year period. Uh, and as much as I have taken great joy in this job, I would be giving a disservice to this country and to the Labour Party if I continued knowing that I just don't have enough in the tank for another four years. So there we have it. The Prime Minister um, saying she just didn't have enough left in the tank to go for another four years. And I don't think anyone begrudges that. The opposition leader, Christopher Luxon, uh, said in a news conference this afternoon uh, that uh, he understood the Prime Minister's decision. He paid tribute to her service and said he had texted her to wish her well. Jacinda Ardern is and was an extraordinary politician. I admired her personally greatly uh, over the last five years and saw in particular in the election campaign the uh, uh, transformational promises the excitement and enthusiasm she generated during that campaign. In many ways, I see her as um, someone able to deal with the extraordinary pressures of being Prime Minister and whose instincts at various points were exactly right in dealing with crisis. So obviously the uh, March attacks and the White Island, but of course during covid I think it's worth saying how extraordinary not just her performance but the performance of the government and of civil society around her was. We keep forgetting now, two and a half years on or so, just on two years on, how vulnerable New Zealand was to COVID and how it could have ended in a very different way with thousands and thousands of people in our country dying needlessly. As it turned out, of course, COVID did come and it has spread around and you've probably had it just like me, but that happened after most of us had been vaccinated and it's clear from the excess death rates that the decisions made in March of 2020 were the right ones and they were difficult at the time. You've got to remember, February, March, the government was already in trouble. Uh, it was behind National in the polls. Simon Bridges looked like he was going to be the next Prime Minister. And along comes a virus in which the most uh, effective response is to effectively shut down the economy to save the lives of those who are most vulnerable. 
This is a government which had been criticised for not being very good on the economy and for being uh, too cautious and uh, not responsive enough to the needs of business. So the decision to essentially shut down the economy, to put everyone into lockdown in the hardest way, with closed borders for nearly two years, is still, I look back on it, and I was there at the time, I was there for those news conferences, I, I asked the questions, I was uh, aware of a lot of the things that were going on in the background, and I'm still astonished that that happened. Most other countries in the world, particularly the democratic ones, did not do that. And that is a, a tribute to the Prime Minister's um, instincts. And my understanding is that the key cabinet meetings on the Monday, the 24th of March, uh, the initial plan was to spend a couple of weeks waiting or planning for a full lockdown, not to go into lockdown within two days. And ultimately, the Prime Minister and the Cabinet decided to go into a very hard lockdown very early, in part because they had the backing of many in the business community to do that. But it's a big call to make as a Prime Minister. And uh, she obviously rallied the nation through that first year. And uh, it is still an extraordinary achievement. Having said that, I think in many ways, Jacinda Ardern's time as Prime Minister is tragic. Because she made commitments, commitments in, in the 2017 election campaign, not aware, I think, of how restricting they were going to be. The commitments about essentially not changing the tax structure of our economy, of not increasing the size of government, of committing to the, in essence, the current um, uh, welfare system that we have, of effectively deciding not to bring in a capital gains or wealth or land tax. And uh, those decisions which were made and she has stuck to were the wrong ones because it's clear now that over the last 30 years we have underinvested criminally in infrastructure, delivered a massive intergenerational wealth benefit to those people who owned land during this time by restricting infrastructure investment and the presence of government in building that infrastructure and of the presence of government in supporting and building our social infrastructure, the well-being of our people through our justice system, our health system, our education system. Decisions that other governments have made but have not been reversed by Labour or the current or, or, or Jacinda Ardern, that uh, opportunities were missed. There was a huge opportunity uh, with COVID to effectively use a crisis to re-engineer the um, structure of our economy and society to increase the uh, amount of um, assistance the government gives to people in strife, to increase the government's involvement in building infrastructure, to essentially use the balance sheet of the nation to invest in the future. And the Prime Minister didn't do that. Uh, but um, through that time did many, many things which she, of course, should be proud of and which I'm personally grateful for. I have seen off camera and behind the scenes um, how the Prime Minister operates. She is an admirable, incredibly hardworking and talented and 
empathetic person. And um, today is an extraordinary day uh, for for this country, and I certainly wish her well in the future and uh, hope that whoever takes over from Jacinda Ardern as Prime Minister uh, understands some of the restrictions she was under and looks to try and change things. Now, from a short-term point of view, the horse race, you know, what does this mean in terms of who wins the election, which is going to be on October the 14th? Does it mean that National and ACT are a sure thing to win? Who's going to be the next leader? Well, we, in theory, can see that Grant Robertson won't stand again. He has stand, stood twice before to be the leader of the Labour Party and actually won two caucus votes to be the Labour Party leader. But at that time, Labour's rules were that um, without a, a uh, clear winner in the caucus just before an election, the vote has to go to the wider Labour uh, membership. And so when that happened... Grant Robertson lost firstly to David Shearer and then secondly to Andrew Andrew Little. And remember when he uh, lost in 2014, he was standing in a joint ticket with Jacinda Ardern as his, his deputy. In my view, Jacinda Ardern and Grant Robertson are like Batman and Robin. They are together. Uh, for a long time, Grant Robertson was Batman, Jacinda was, was Robin. That flipped, obviously, in 2017. They are a team. Grant Robertson said in a statement that he had also seen up close and personal how demanding the role is and did not want to stand again. I still think there is a chance that his caucus will beg him to stand and become the next Prime Minister. I think Labour has a some sort of chance of uh, closing the gap with National, with Robertson, who is the most effective politician they have, certainly the most effective parliamentary performer, and would wipe the floor, I think, in debates with Christopher Luxon. He's obviously the most respected and accomplished of the politicians still in the Labour cabinet, and would win in a heartbeat if he put his hand up. The problem for Labour is that they don't have an obvious successor in the wings, who is genuinely popular in any public sense, and has the mana to really step straight into the shoes of Jacinda Ardern. There are a few candidates around, including a couple of former leaders. You've got Andrew Little, uh, who obviously did not resonate with the public when he was leader, and handed over to Jacinda Ardern, so he's not going to go in there. David Parker, who was briefly an interim leader in between, uh, from memory, David Cunliffe and um, uh, David Shearer. Uh, But... It's unlikely he would have a crack. You'd, you've got some of the younger players who I think are more likely to put their hands up, uh, the likes of Chris Hipkins, the current uh, health... Sorry, the current uh, um, justice minister, previous health minister and leader of the House. I think he's the most experienced and effective of the likely candidates, and if I had to put money on a successor, it's likely to be him. You also have an up-and-comer who's won a lot of plaudits within the Labour caucus and wider in Michael Wood. Uh, uh, Megan Woods is, in theory, another candidate, or I think uh, it's unlikely she would um, resonate uh, or have support within caucus. And a complete wildcard is Kerry Allen as a potential candidate. 
Uh, but um, if I had to put my money on it, if Grant Robertson doesn't uh, get press ganged into the job, um, Christopher Hitkins is likely to be the next Labour leader. And would, on current um, performances, uh, likely lose to just to, to um, Christopher Luxon in the election on October the 14th. What does it mean for policies? Well, uh, who knows what a new leader would try to do, whether they'd try to propose some sort of sweeping policy reforms around tax and spending, and whether this would fly uh, with an electorate who are ready to push the reject button on the Labour government. And also whether Christopher Luxon can hold uh, uh, his lead as preferred Prime Minister and essentially not stuff it up on the way to the election. Who knows? I'll be keeping an eye on it. Ka kite anō. And best wishes to Jacinda Ardern.